Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, this is all very nice, but the real action happened about a month ago. You know what I'm talking about. No, not Christmas. I'm talking about Good Riddance Day. December 28th in Times Square, it was the 10th year in a row that people, I don't, it's not a religious thing, have celebrated Good Riddance Day. Participants wrote, they wrote down unpleasant, painful, or embarrassing memories from the past year and then chucked them into an industrial strength shredder. Organizers said it's a good way to start the new year with a clean slate. They also noted we have a sledgehammer. That was supposed to be funny, but they actually do have a sledgehammer. Um, Perhaps it's no surprise that Good Riddance Day has caught on in this wonderful big apple in which we now sit. Uh, It is, after all, a place where the sidewalks radiate with the promise of the corporate ladder and the rat race of influence and audience where exhilaration coexists with exhaustion, excitement, and opportunity, and individuality, along with pressure and loneliness, and all of the burdens of modern life. Of course, if these uh, beautiful souls were looking for some absolution, I wish we could have been there pointing them to Stuyvesant Square or to 21st Street and Park, where I could guarantee them that they would hear the good news described in that opening paragraph of Saul Bellow's Henderson the Rain King. The forgiveness of sins is perpetual, and righteousness first is not required. That's Saul Bellow. They could have left their sledgehammer at home, and they could have left all of their tools at home, They could have just basically sat here or in the pews at Calvary. But reading about that, learning about this new tradition, and I have no doubt that it's going to catch on beyond New York City and that the 10th year is not the last year of Good Riddance Day. Um, I was reminded of the reading tonight. Today is the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, just sort of uh, by chance, I guess. Um, But we have this incredible testimony in Acts where Paul describes himself in very unflattering terms. He, he confesses, he fesses up to actively and being actively and energetically involved in persecuting Christians. He talks about sort of holding them to the, the to following them into cities abroad, to not letting anything go. He does not paint a sympathetic portrait of a sort of uh, anti-hero who might merit a second chance like sometimes we get in Hollywood. Instead, we get a, a picture of privilege and villainy and uh, censoriousness that is almost unromanticizable. It's not the kind of person you would think that people would want to identify with. And yet... We read, we hear that this is the person that God has chosen to entrust with the message of the forgiveness of sins. Is it not in keeping with the character of Jesus? 
the uh, ladies who run the incredible podcast Invisibilia had a whole episode called Flip the Script in which they looked at what happened at St. Paul in sociological terms. And they said it's called non-complementary behavior and it almost never happens. Meaning, you don't treat the person the way that they're asking to be treated. You don't give them what's coming to them. Instead, Paul got the opposite. And it made all the difference. The script was flipped. He got the least expected consequence there on that road. It was unexpected, yet perhaps not so unexpected when you consider that an Eagle Scout from Yuma, Arizona has found his way to Park Avenue and has fooled his way into your hearts and mine as well. And now we're stuck with him. You notice they put the sermon after the institution, so I can say whatever I want. And yet this foolishness that marks uh, both what happened to Paul and the very fact that we are here tonight to celebrate this momentous occasion uh, for Jacob and Melina, well, it marks, it is the same foolishness that does mark the way of the cross. You have the forgiven sinner being the one to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. This message of the forgiveness of sins for a place He's, Jesus is saying that I'm, I'm rescuing you so that, you may re- that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, that's not small potatoes. The forgiveness of sins, if you are a person who is stuck in the merciless dead end of a life of scorekeeping and striving, well, forgiveness, to say nothing of absolution, well, that spells freedom and hope and a way forward in the midst of life, and all its increasing difficulty. I was struck a couple weeks ago, Martin Luther King Day, someone sent me a sermon that he preached in 1959, and it was a sort of a, it was as though Jacob Smith was being channeled. It was, it was a straight law and gospel sermon called Tough Mind and Tender Heart. And this is what King wrote. He said, When we are staggered by the chilly winds of adversity and battered by the raging storms of disappointment, and when through our folly and sin we stray into some destructive far country, we need to know that there is someone who loves us, cares for us, understands us, and will give us another chance. The forgiveness of sins, the balm of Gilead. And yet... Without a place, uh, how disembodied it can become. It can become just words. And that's another reason why tonight is such a beautiful thing. We are here together in an increasingly uh, mediated world where we interact usually through phones and text messages and whatnot. We're sitting next to each other. And most of you aren't texting right now. A few of you are. I can see you. But most of you aren't. And that's incredible. This is a place. We are here in a place. That's a radical thing. It's not only a place, though. It's a place of welcome. It's a place of safety. And let me tell you, that is what Jacob and Melina are uh, black belt karate masters at. They did this for me and my wife when we first moved to New York City. Uh, they, um, uh, They trusted us with their child before we'd had any kids of our own. 
I still think um, she's, I'm sorry, Sophia, wherever you are. But uh, they did this for Mockingbird, for the organization that I'm involved with and Jake has been involved with. They didn't have to. No one was, there was nothing on the line for them. They could have easily stayed back. They could have easily not stuck their neck out. And yet those of you who are a part of this congregation know that that that, uh, rectory is used almost every single night in some kind of entertaining capacity. So either they are extroverts of the most unhealthy and pathological variety, or they're called by God to, to love you people. I think it's the latter. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we can say that at this point. The warmth and welcome of a place to be where the forgiveness of sins is instantiated and experienced and not just paid lip service to. Okay. So we've reached the part of the sermon where I'm supposed to tell you about ministry, Jacob. But you decided to hire a non-minister to give this sermon. So, here we go. Uh, Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, You know more than anyone, that the life of ministry is a life as a privileged uh, vocation, and yet an extremely tough one. It is oftentimes not very rewarding. Uh, It is oftentimes lonely. And yet, what can I tell you about this that you haven't already taught me? So in thinking about tonight, I thought of a couple of things that Jacob has taught me over the years that I wanted to share with you. I'll never forget Early on, right when he was a curate here, um, we were doing some, maybe working out or something, and he had, he had a meeting scheduled for after our jog, and uh, he was dreading it because he knew that these, uh, this couple was not terribly thrilled with their experience they were having at the church. It, apparently it happens sometimes. And he said, Dave, this is what the life of ministry is like. It's like dating in high school. People can break up with you, but you can't break up with them. I said, speak for yourself, Jacob. But this uh, posture of absorbing the slings and arrows that come at you, which is the posture of grace, which is the posture of long-suffering faithfulness, which we have seen so beautifully uh, lived out by Jacob and Melina, well, that is what a life of ministry actually entails. You know, uh, he's not only, as you know, this incredibly humble and funny and lovable guy. Uh, he's also sort of good at um, uh, making the best of a, of a t- difficult situation. He would tell me stories, sometimes over the phone after we moved away from New York, about the stuff that would happen around here. And I would tell him he'd had to pitch it as a TV show. But the problem would be that I don't think people would believe it. And anyone who's, but I, you know, the office was really big at this time. I said, you just call it church. I don't think it would have worked. But um, we, we, we missed the boat on that one, my friend. <clears throat> the other tip, which is uh, something you have taught me and something that, you, that emanates from every poor, is what the British uh, writer, philosopher, Alan de Botton said. So greatly, uh, so pithily in his recent book, The Course of Love. He said, you have, uh, in terms of wanting healthy relationships with other people, you have to acknowledge with good grace that we all may be in one or two areas somewhat insane. Jacob uh, knows this to be true. He knows that, as Bédé Bonton said, we were all less than ideally parented. 
We fight rather than explain, nag rather than teach. We fret. Instead of analyzing our worries, we lie and scatter blame where it doesn't belong. The chances of a perfect human emerging from the perilous gauntlet of life are non-existent. We don't have to know a stranger very well before knowing this about them. In other words, our collective insanity is the great equalizer. It's a simple truth, but a radical one in a world that would puff itself up on notions of performance and esteem. He also knows about ministry that there's a radical simplicity about it. The theologian Anne Long once wrote that there is no cleverness or accomplishment in pastoral care. It is no more and no less than sharing with one another in the experience of grace a surprising, unsought gift. That's it. That's all it is. And yet it is so stinking hard. Jacob, you love people as they are, not as how they should be. Righteousness first is not required to come into your company. And we know this to be true from the magnetic effect you have over real people with real problems and real fears and real hopes. You know that treating people like investments or projects or like social capital is anathema to the entire idea of grace. You also... I believe, have internalized something that one of your forebears over at Calvary once wrote. I'm speaking of Sam Shoemaker. Many of you know that Alcoholics Anonymous is one of the Spirit's great legacies at Calvary, that Sam Shoemaker, the rector there, one of Jake's uh, predecessors now, was helpful, uh, played a key role in penning the 12 steps. But he said this about AA, and I believe we could sub out Jesus... Uh, as you preach him. People do not come to AA to get made a little better. They do not come because the best people are doing it. They come because they are desperate. They are not ladies and gentlemen looking for a religion. They are utterly desperate men and women in search of redemption. Without what AA gives, death stares them in the face. With what AA gives them, there is life and hope. And so, yes, you're a wonderful guy. This is not a wedding toast. You're a patient and wise pastor. You are the go-to person in New York City to know where the good dumplings are. (laughs) Melina is an amazingly gifted and kind partner and woman. But anyone who's ever visited Calvary St. George's in the past few years knows that there's something far bigger and more exciting going on than building the Jacob Smith, the Molina Smith brand. It's not church done really well in an incredible location, although it is. People actually aren't coming here to get a little bit better or to develop their social conscience You're like Neil Diamond. I've always said that about you, Jacob, but now I really mean it. You're like Neil Diamond at the last waltz 40 years ago, the band's final concert. He gets up there, and it's all these cool musicians, and then there's Neil Diamond. And he gets up and he says, I'm going to do one song for you, but I'm going to do it good. 
And you know what? It was good. It was great. Dry your eyes. It's wonderful. Listen to it. iTunes. Jacob, your one song is the song of the gospel. And you do it good. That single arrow in the quiver is enough. It's the same arrow that Paul had. It is rest for weary bones. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As another predecessor of yours, in closing, Stephen Ting, your great hero, said, The gospel message is the message of that which God has done, is the offer of that which man may have. Complete forgiveness in a Savior's death, everlasting cleansing in the power of a Savior's precious blood, unchangeable acceptance with God in a Savior's perfect obedience, and eternal life, the gracious gift of God. Since I don't feel qualified to give you any sort of closing charge, I'll give you one that Ting gave. He charged preachers, and he charges you this evening, as does your Lord, who is here with us, to tell this precious story over and over and over again. Let that bird, that one good song, sing out in every house, at every bedside of sickness, in every chamber of sorrow, to every anxious, burdened heart, in the midst of every afflicted household, to every waiting sinner like ourselves, wherever we may find them. And one other thing, for all of our sakes, and yes, for the love of God, try not to get caught on fire again. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.